after we've experienced a life-threatening traumatic year or two of where our health is really, really paramount and our quality of life is so important, start with yourself. Start small, pick one thing, change one thing, but start paying attention and putting yourself in there as a priority. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Judith Bess, Global Head of the Employee Assistance and Work-Life Program at JPMorgan Chase. Judith talks about her journey to leadership, how the pandemic gave people permission to be vulnerable, and how connections with others are so critical to our well-being. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Judith, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy speaking with you as a colleague of mine, but I'm especially excited to talk to you because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I think there's a lot that we can draw attention to, particularly this month, that's very relevant given the work that you've long done for us at JPMorgan Chase. So let us just start with your background. You studied social work, and I would love to hear more about your educational experience and your career. So tell us about you really started off wanting to go in and become a psychologist and found my way to community not-for-profit work, originally with drug addiction and then with adolescent work, and really recognized that for social work, it's far more about community impact on the person and the person's impact on community and how the family system model really works and really recognizing its absolute application in real world to everything we do and fell in love with the profession. I think it's one of the best kind of moldings for learning how to work with people. What drew you to that path originally? Was there something in your upbringing or parents? It's a great standard question. The answer is we go into it to figure out ourselves, right? Go into it really trying to understand the hodgepodge of, I came from a family where we moved almost like army brats from one country to another and never really found my nest. And what that allowed me to then do is constantly get to know people, constantly try to unpack myself, constantly having to rework the wheel. And I fell in love with the idea of the human exploration. That's great. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to something like that. So let's talk about your work here at JPMorgan Chase. You've been with the bank for a very long time. And right now you are our global head of our employee assistance and work life program. So first of all, tell us about your journey at the company. So I started at the company very early on in my career very quickly learned that I could apply the workings of my previous work in not-for-profit because really when you're working within an industry like ours, every management triangle is a family. And so you can apply the same systems that you would in a family right to the corporation. And it makes you want to almost take a second look at the family that you're in from a work perspective and want to dissect it. I thought I was only going to stay for a window of time. And then I fell in love with working here and realized I could do really great work and have impact here within the corporation. It is a microcosm of society. I've been here a very long time and so privileged to be able to now be able to impact it from an administrative position. So I think some people might listen to this and say, I didn't know a bank would hire a social worker, someone with your background. So tell us how you apply your skill set here and the program that you do run. 
it is different to have it within the corporation, but I will tell you the advantage is that we are able to do work within the system that we're working in. I don't have to bring in somebody from outside to say, here, help us get to know ourselves. We know each other. We're colleagues. So I can work with managers and employees and really impact how they're working with each other and then work with them independently to see how they're impacting themselves and how they're coming to the table for themselves. And I can apply that across the globe. I'm here with a medical department and a police department with our security. We are a microcosm and people aren't completely always aware. It's lovely and so privileged to be able to be doing this work here. As someone who has been an employee also here for a while, I've seen the employee assistance program at work for so many years. And I know that it brings great value to our employees. But tell our listeners, what does it actually do? What would an employee call the EAP for? What kind of help and services? I think originally people don't call it because they don't think that their problem is to the level that they think they should get the help. You should almost be in crisis in order to call. And though there's an 800 number and they call that a hotline, I really want employees to be aware that you can call because you're just not feeling yourself and you don't really know what's going on, but you realize that you're not coming to the table for work in a way that you feel enthusiastic or maybe something in your personal life is distracting you. And rather than to try and make a million phone calls and try and get the right person in order to finally make the appointment, it's right here at the office. You can pick up the phone, you can call any one of the on-site counselors that are available and start that conversation right away. So we wanted to make it accessible. And then you can decide if you want to see a provider outside and you get five sessions for free for now per issue per year for your whole household. That alleviates a lot of the search and wear and tear that goes on with wondering where to go, where to start. Anybody you see is a licensed mental health practitioner, which means they're bound by HIPAA to protect your confidentiality unless there's harm to self or others. And it's a great place to begin, even if you're having workplace issues and you don't know really, who do I turn to? Where do I go? As an on-site counselor, I know where you can go. I'm integrated within the businesses. I can tell you what the internal models are and I can direct you to where you need to be. And I can also help you prep before you get there to decide where do you want to go? How do you want to present yourself or your situation? It's a great place to kind of sort things out. I love that you said that to sort things out. So employees would call if they might have a mental health issue themselves, or maybe they're struggling with something with their family. It could be personal. It could be professional. Maybe there's an issue at work with a boss. So it sounds like a really robust program that people can use for all sorts of reasons. You know, we've seen such a focus on mental health awareness and issues during the pandemic for good reasons, of course. What have you seen over the last few years? Where were we pre-pandemic in terms of how people use these kind of services? And where are we now in terms of greater demand? Yeah, these are the blessings of COVID and sort of the darker sides of COVID. And so I always talk about August 2019 when we were planning our summer vacations or coming away from our summer vacations, recognizing that we were tired, but not really seeing the EAP as anything that we could touch or talk to because it was a nice to have until you had a crisis and you needed it. Once COVID hit in 2020, I think the recognition of the impact to our mental health and our well-being became so very clear, so very near, and the need for something to really help us learn and not isolate and be able to heal and find coping tips along the way shot EAP out of a cannon. 
I don't think I've heard in all of my years EAP mentioned or plugged in so much as I did in 2020. And I think what it did was really force two things. One, recognition that we all need the help. And two, reduce the stigma of reaching out. It allowed people to have permission to say, you know what? COVID has this, and therefore I have permission to come in. And maybe I had this problem before, but now I feel far more comfortable picking up the phone or joining a Zoom meeting or instant messaging a counselor and saying, I just need to talk to somebody. So does that mean you saw a lot greater demand for the services in the last two years? So I saw absolute activity and I saw far more utilization on the on-site team in the past two years. Absolutely. The vendor model was a little bit different because everybody was taken down. We created something called Coping Connections where we came into Zoom rooms and still do every week to support one another, to allow for people to come into the room and say, you know what, I'm not doing great today. And how are you doing? And to really share with one another and break the seal on having to feel like we had to pull it all together all the time. And I saw thousands of people come through those doors. It was amazing. The coping connections seem to be a different model, that group-based model. Did you see employees really gravitating toward that? In other words, they really wanted to talk to someone, but talking to others, other peers in a group was something that was really helpful for them? Absolutely. When we're having a shared experience, going into a counseling room and just talking about yourself doesn't really do it. We are animals that need other animals around us. We needed to know that we were normal, that we were not alone. Having a counselor be in the room to kind of moderate the room was one way to go. And we thought it was a better way to go to allow employees to feel like they didn't need to be in charge. There was going to be somebody holding the room and holding the walls up so that you could come in the door and you could share with your colleagues and know that it was free and safe, psychologically safe for you to be able to share. And I think we created such a great level of psychological freedom and safety that people still today, people sign up and we have request forms and other groups come in and it's still a model that is thriving since we we started in April of 2020. That is amazing. I think that people are willingly coming to these forums. They look for this. I'm not sure pre-COVID if I would have expected that to want to divulge so much potentially personal information with colleagues at the workplace. So it's interesting that you're describing it really changed. So I heard you speak in early 2021, so about a year into the pandemic to our employees where you were talking about pandemic fatigue. And you really gave a name to something I think I was feeling. And I really didn't know that something had a name like that. You could really describe it with symptoms and how you were feeling. Tell us about that. So unpack what pandemic fatigue is and why it was so important to really express that to others. We need to sometimes understand what is this malaise that we are experiencing collectively and how can we understand and climb out of it? But first we have to describe it. We have to label it, right? The other part of that that came along with pandemic fatigue is what we're experiencing today. And I think we experience it more so than during the pandemic. And that's the compassion fatigue. And it's the fatigue of hearing story after story after story and having to keep supporting one another. It's really, really hard. So the messages in the going forward is all about self-care and really, really being sure that you're taking good care of yourself because it's hard to always have someone lean on you if you're not taking good care of yourself. From a mental health perspective, given that we're in this pandemic two years, do you think things change? You know, year one, did we experience collectively one type of fatigue and did it change in year two because it kept going on and on? That compassion fatigue, I think is a really interesting next level of it almost. You know, say more about what you saw as things just kept dragging on. 
I will say in the beginning, we were all in shock, right? And then we thought, well, end of the tunnel, it'll be April to August, and then we'll be out. And then before we knew it, we were in December, and then there was projections for future. And that's when the vaccinations started to come on the market. So in the beginning, I think people were just tired of the long, drawn-out, constant fear that was bombarding us from around without relief, without knowing what the future was going to bring. Sad reality that we lost loved ones. And then we went from that to the grieving of the ambiguous grief, the loss of freedom, the loss of ability to have spontaneity, the loss of our loved ones, to then feeling this languishing sort of, I can't rally myself to getting out there. We're really talking about the inability to have embraced our August 2019. And we were just reckoning with the fact that the world's changed and we changed by default. You know, as I hear you describe this, I think about the last two years for me too, you know, as a mother, probably my first order of business was obviously being with my kids, taking care of the family, being in lockdown with them, going through school. So it was very much about taking care of others in the household. And I probably didn't pick my own head up for a long time to say, well, what about me? Like, what do I need to keep going through this time? So that languishing, I think is very, I can really relate to that, that after a while, you really have to turn that attention to yourself. How did you hear that experience and expressed by employees? You know, what do people generally say when they have that aha moment, like I'm having, wow, there's a thing out there. And I think that describes me. Yeah, I mean, people would constantly, and that's what the rooms were really good for, right? So everybody would come into the Zoom rooms and they'd go, oh man, me too. Geez, I thought it was just me. Also, what they would share in the rooms, they started to share coping mechanisms, right? And so I would be talking about how did I get through COVID? I did seven terrible, difficult puzzles. I found it so much fun to be able to go and put one piece down because it was no control. And so I tried to control what I couldn't control. And I found myself doing things that allowed me that movement from languish to flourish, where you start to take control of the things you have in your environment. And people started to share their tips and tools. And I think somebody talked about changing their entire lifestyle and all of the wonderful stories you hear of people who have transformed their bodies and their lives. It's been wonderful. You know, as we're now going back to the office, we're making this another adjustment to being back in person with people. And I think it's been very energizing for a lot of people. You know, being in person does give you some benefits you just can't get at home. And I think for other people, it brings back some of the parts of the office they didn't necessarily like or the exhaustion of the commute. You know, what are you seeing now in terms of this readjustment, this new world we're in? Hopefully we'll have flexibility no matter what the company is that we work for, but it is an adjustment nonetheless. It is an adjustment. And honestly, what I really find myself saying in very many different ways is we've got to figure out a way to stop fighting it and start accepting it. And not accepting it with flourish and positivity and bounce, but just accepting and resigning ourselves, resolving ourselves that this is where we are. This is what we have to do. So now we got to get creative. If you find yourself obstructing and having obstructive thoughts and wanting to fight it, it's hard to get creative about how am I going to do this, right? But once you resolve yourself, you resign yourself to something, then you can start to poke around and go, okay, you know what? I'm bringing puzzles to work. How about that? Or bring music or figure it out for yourself, right? What did you learn in 2020 that worked for you? And what small piece of that can you bring back to work? I love that advice. And do you see most people when they hear that really reaching in to themselves to think about, oh, I can actually bring forward that new habit that I developed or something personal? 
You know, I think the first thing they say to me is, sure. Then what do I do with all that anger I've got pent up? What do you want me to do with that? And I'd say to them, well, have your anger, but really start to get creative about it, start to resolve. And then all of a sudden people are doing things like bringing music in that was really, really impressive for them or poetry or definitely relying on getting up and getting out and taking a walk, allowing themselves to really get out and recognize that they needed the breaks and to put some more attention on their calendar to getting some breaks. We're going to get the job done. Put it in your calendar. Take a break. Don't eat at your desk. Every two hours, pick up yourself. Ask yourself, do I need to go to the bathroom? Do I need some water? Get up and take care of yourself and put it in your calendar, most of all. And people tend to slowly move in that direction. I think we're getting there. So in addition to being a counselor, you also run the program, the global EAP program. And so I'd love to know, talk about your journey to leadership of that group. You know, what kinds of lessons did you learn along the way to take over that group? And when you manage today, you know, what's your leadership style? It's a hard one. I have been in the position of watching my managers because we're a small department, right? And the person that had the role before me was in his role for 30 years and wonderfully, wonderfully led the department. And I had to really wrestle with myself. Not only was I not a man, I was not also coming in with any sort of traditional ways in which you rise to leadership in this particular position. I was homegrown, if you will. I had two really great pieces of advice that came to me. One was through a colleague who sat me down, a senior leader in HR, and said, okay, I want you to really recognize that you can take a look at what's been going on, but you can also assess what needs to be done differently. It doesn't have to stay the same. Though it has, and it's been great, you have permission to kind of change it up. And then the second piece I really had to think through, and it was really out of a place that I would have never sought advice from, but marketing director for Hillary Clinton's presidential run for office, Jennifer Palmieri. She wrote a book and her book really talked a little bit more about how for Hillary Clinton, they marketed her like they would market a man. And they left off her female characteristics, her warmth, her familial attention, her endurance, her ability to bring the community together. And I thought, you know what? I don't have to do it that way. I can come into this with me being a woman and being okay, but being a woman of color and coming into this role, I think the person who had the role before me was six foot something. I'm five two. It's a very different sort of presentation. <laughs> and I'm a social worker, not a psychologist. And there were all sorts of things that went into it. So I feel very, very happy that I had those two pieces. They allowed me to really relax. And then COVID gave me, broke the glass completely for me. And I was able to be the first responder that I can tend to be which is where I really do well. And so it really gave me the ability to shatter my preconceptions and allowed me to just do what I do. Thank you for sharing that. No, that is really interesting to hear how you very deliberately thought about a different leadership style, the permission to change things as needed. When we're all in that situation where we take over from someone else, we should remember that, that it is our job to reevaluate and to look at things differently. And as I like to say, you really have six months-ish to fix things. After that, it becomes your problem. So if you're going to do something different, take a look and do it quickly. You know, when you think about the inclusiveness of your organization and the people that you manage, how have you seen it evolve over your tenure here? The truth of the matter is, is that the on-site team is such a specialized force and they really require such tenure. We have so many great people that have been with us for a very long time. And so the evolution is more in how we address things 
than the evolution of people. And so we are really, really very, very much, especially because of what we do, making sure that each person is seen uniquely as their own, but then also that the collective gets addressed in its also specialties and unique frame and has a space and a voice for support, but also for declaration of change if necessary. We're great advocates. When I think about what the employee assistance program does in terms of the benefits that you outlined and conversations you can have, it strikes me as really giving employees the space to bring personal concerns, to bring their selves into the workplace. Do you think a benefit like that can help drive more inclusivity in general? Absolutely. I think that as you allow yourself the opportunity for conversation to really embrace your voice, we have people who come who maybe for the very first time have talked about wanting to change their lives because they're really under the impression that they didn't have permission to change and now they want to. And maybe that's where the transition starts for them, that they start to embrace their whole selves. And it's by having these open conversations as an opportunity. And then they could grow from there. When you were doing these coping connection conversations, did you hear from employees about what it meant to them? You know, any stories about the impact it was having on their lives? I really was struck by how many people were using the coping connections. Often we had plenty of people coming through, but what we didn't recognize until I heard some of the stories is that people were coming into the room and they were using it for support system with things that were going on in their lives that we didn't even know about. We had one particular story from a young man who came forward with really telling us the story about how it really, really saved him from feeling like he was absolutely alone in the world. He was going through a divorce. He was trying to figure out how to support his kids. He was on the brink of homelessness because of the financials that a divorce can take. And he was having a hard time at his job. He would come into the coping connections, share as much as he felt comfortable. And he wrote me that by the time he got through 2020 and 2021, he was feeling like he had everything he needed emotionally supported to come through having really, really a much better place in his life. He was more secure in his job. He was more secure in his personal life. And he felt like the coping connections really saved him. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. It really reminds you that you don't know what's going on on the other side. And how do you measure that or things in general, whether that's access, outcomes, affordability? You know, what are the things that you're looking at when you're trying to evaluate the program? Believe it or not, I'm revamping. And as we talked about, COVID kind of took over my first two years. We are evaluating and assessing it right now. And because it's soft, it's a soft number that you can probably try and put some measurement to. But mental health in general is a self-reported condition right? So you self-report how you're feeling and you self-report how you're progressing and getting better. Everybody works at their own pace. My number is always looking at the utilization number of the program. We've always blown it out of the park in terms of our utilization numbers compared to other companies. And I think that says a lot. As long as that keeps going up and stays steady, I feel like we're hitting the mark. Well, so as we are still in Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm wondering what recommendations you have for people out there to take care of themselves this month, maybe to get resources that they might need. Most people know what they have to do in order to take care of themselves. They really do. But they say, I'll do it tomorrow. Or yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I talk the talk, I don't walk it. And I really have to stop them and say, now 
after we've experienced a life-threatening traumatic year or two of where our health is really, really paramount and our quality of life is so important, start with yourself. Start small, pick one thing, change one thing, but start paying attention and putting yourself in there as a priority. Now is really the time we are in reflection mode. We are coming, emerging, breaking the mold on trying to create a new normal. You really want to put yourself first. It's really important when we come down to being able to be resilient in order to really traverse the times we have ahead of us and enjoy them. We have to put ourselves first. We have to take care of ourselves. What are some of the things that you do for self-care? Well, I've started very, very much more around food and nutrition and my annual exams. I was putting them off. As crazy as it sounds, as much as I preach, I was putting them off completely. And then really sinking into meditation, really making it a part of my daily experience as opposed to just teaching it and talking about it. And it's very, very easy to get kind of lazy and kind of sloppy about it. So I've made that my small commitment for now. So health and meditation is my first. Those are great and very much can relate to that. So as we wrap up, would love for you to leave our audience with what makes you hopeful about the future? We have the possibilities of changing. Look what we did to the business world. We're in hybrid work environment. We can do this. We can make sure that we have an adjustment to our life and our lifestyle and we can get things done yet push the envelope on what might have been something that was just antiquated at this point, right? COVID taught us that we could do anything anywhere. So I'm really, really hopeful that we can get creative about what our needs are. How do we bring more joy into everything we do? That's really what drives me. Whatever that might be for you, you may have 20 things on your to-do list, but how can you listen to good music while you're doing it? Or how can you bring a little bit of sunshine into your day so that along the way, you're not missing out? We go by this life but once. We have to integrate joy. Thank you. I will definitely keep thinking about that for a long time. So I appreciate that perspective. Judith, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you for being with us and really for all the help that you provide for so many of our employees around the world. Sam, this has been a lovely conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Judith Bess. It was inspiring to hear how employee assistance programs can truly help get people through challenging times. I also loved the story about how she followed a successful predecessor by intentionally bringing her own leadership style to her role. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.